With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Happy Halloween. I'm pretty confident you did with what happened out in West Texas. Oklahoma just steamrolling Texas Tech 62-28 to in a game that really wasn't even as close as that score was. Oklahoma looking brand new on offense with a new running back. And defensive pressure just amplified uh, out against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. It's a game that I picked to be a one-score contest, and it absolutely was not that. Rich, you and I texted each other um, in the first half, basically saying with Oklahoma's 48 first-half points, well, there goes our score prediction. Sooners leading 48-14 to at the break kind of swap touchdowns in the third and fourth quarter with a, with the 28, 28, excuse me, 14 to 14 stalemate uh, in the second half. But this is a game where you start with, with Oklahoma. Um, really, we're going to talk offense first, but defensively the, the turnovers were, were the big difference, right? The turnovers were, were the big difference. And it was something that was very welcomed, Specifically for this defense, Matt, you know that as we've sat here and we've podcasted about the Oklahoma Sooners, whether it was a preview podcast or whether that was a recap, we've consistently talked about how Alex Grinch and this defense have spoken of turnovers and that that would ultimately be what propelled them to success on that side of the ball. It just hadn't happened. I know that you wrote in your recap there that this defense is beginning to see a little bit of a trend Mm -hmm. when it comes to those turnovers. Three against Texas, you saw once again that number balloon to three against Texas Tech. It's something, again, that I know that we like seeing, and I think Sooner Nation as a whole would jump on board with us. And so when we look at what the difference maker was, if we're going to answer that question by all means, the turnovers on defense only gave that group a ton of confidence to play with and all of a sudden I I felt like there was this switch that was turned on it was as if the the lights had come on in the house and all of a sudden this was was a defense that was playing up to a lot of the expectation that was placed upon them at the beginning of the season right and we'll we'll get more into the defensive breakdown here in just a few minutes but definitely the the switch happened with that first turnover the first Trey Norwood interception and then it was just kind of lights out from that point forward. Hey, random question for you. When you're looking at your stats, when you're looking at your scoring drives, are you typically using ESPN? Uh, no. Well, live, I don't. Live, I no, use... No, no, no. I mean, when we're sitting here, we're podcasting. Yes, right now I've got ESPN. Ha- have you looked at the scoring drives for each team, each score? No. Okay, because I'm going to tell you, across the board, it says they were all 13 plays and they were 185-yard drives. Wow, nice. Scoring drives, whether that was a field goal or a touch. I just got a kick out of it seeing that that number consistently pasted across the bottom. So what you're saying is there's a glitch. 
Um, yes. Okay. So before we go any further, real quick, uh, you know, just yeah, I hate this because it sounds so casual, so blah. But uh, definitely thoughts, condolences, well wishes to uh, the family of, of Billy Tubbs. Um, I, I don't know. I, I again, I always make fun of you for being a youngster, Rich. But you know, I grew up in the Tubbs era of Oklahoma basketball, and my first ever live game experience. I think I've told you this in years past. My my first ever live game experience at an OU basketball game was the infamous Billy Tubbs moment against Missouri when it doesn't matter how bad these referees suck, you know, we're not going to throw stuff on the floor. And I was hooked from that point forward. I mean, that that was my indoctrination into Oklahoma basketball and um, just offer condolences again, well wishes to his family with his passing. Uh, we're recording this on, on November 1st, uh, passed away uh, this morning, age 85, I believe. So, and of course, you know, I know, you know, Billy Tubbs, because when we were covering OU basketball, you know, he'd sit up there next to us at practices and stuff. Yeah, no, you he's, know. he's definitely a guy who's been around the program and was a familiar face for anyone who was familiar with Oklahoma basketball, whether that was old familiar or whether that was a new familiar and more along the lines of bringing in some of these bigger recruits, the Blake era, excuse me, not the Blake era, but the help me out here. Cause I just totally, when I said that his name completely left me. Are you talking to a player for Billy Tubbs? No, or? no, no. I'm talking about more recently. Number one overall draft pick, Blake. Blake Griffin? Thank you. Are I you can, serious I, right I, now? I, when I said Blake era, his, his last name completely escaped me, Matt. I think people, again, who are familiar with Blake Griffin in moving forward still had some knowledge of who Billy Tubbs is yeah, you can't or was. Not. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't. If you know anything about OU basketball, if you've ever watched OU basketball, right, you can't and, and, not, and that's the point like I'm making saying, here. It's like saying Barry Switzer for football. I mean, you Barry Switzer, mm-hmm. Barry Switzer quit coaching before most of these, you know, this generation of fans and and everyone is it was even born. Well, close to when you were even born, uh, he quit coaching. But the point I'm making is, um, actually, I think he had quit coaching when you. I don't want to give away personal information for you, but I think he had quit coaching when you Barry were born. Barry Switzer, no, no, okay, it no. was close though. It was close. Okay, um, but the point is, you know Barry Switzer. I mean, you were a baby in diapers. Yeah, I've got an autograph from okay. Barry Switzer. So you know Billy Tubbs, and again, just wish, uh, just you know. Great guy, fun, fun interviews, um, and wishing, you know, just wish it wasn't the way it is, but uh, condolences to his family. Oklahoma with the big win out in West Texas over the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Now it's your turn to win big, and you can do that with my bookie. Between the NFL, college football, UFC, and all the other things that are going on in the world of sports, there's no shortage of games to watch, and thousands of lines are available on all of your favorite sports and events. You can turn your game day into payday with MyBookie. If you're the type of guy who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, like, no, no, Dallas Cowboys, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs, <clears throat> Kansas Jayhawks. They're a ton, they have a ton of value. The thing about the NFL and college football and underdogs in general is that they're never really dogs on Saturdays or Sundays. Every team truly has a chance to win, again, except for Kansas, and so do you. Game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets, it's all there, and it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash. Sign up 
at MyBookie, and when you do, use promo code Overtime to claim a deposit, and you can mat- they'll match it dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code Overtime, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, and you can claim your bonus when you make your first deposit. Okay, Oklahoma with uh, 29 total first downs, 8 of 15 on third down. That was huge in this game, by the way. And I was a little bit surprised. Only 559 yards, and I say only 559 yards, but when you post 62 points on the scoreboard, you expect that total yards number to be north of 600. At least I do. But then you think Oklahoma played on a short field with, with three turnovers. You know, that turned into short field for the Sooners. And so that takes away some of your yardage. But this is by far the best Oklahoma's offense has looked this season. And that includes, in my opinion, the Missouri State game. And um, it, it just – and I, I don't want to jump right into it, but I got to jump right into it. The only difference between this offense and what we saw against Texas and what we saw against Texas Christian in this winning streak that the Sooners are on is number 29, Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, he he was the difference maker. And so I, I don't want to throw you under the bus. I don't want to throw you. Hey, shit. you don't, you don't, don't have to. I was going to go ahead and fess yeah. up on this one and just let, let you know, Matt, that I, I was wrong because I went on record saying that Oklahoma didn't need him uh-huh. in the backfield. Right. Yeah. It and by is, the way, I was, I was here. I don't, we've got to find, figure out a way for people to contact you because I'm hearing from people during this game last night going, boy, what's rich thinking now? What's rich. In, you know, and I'd even texted you during the game, but I'm hearing all these people sending me messages about, so yeah, we got to figure something out. Truth, there. truth be told, I was wrong. And I was very clearly in the wrong on that argument. I liked what we saw out of Seth McGowan early. And then TJ Pledger came along and, and posted a couple of back-to-back mm-hmm. hundred yard games. I thought Ramondre Stevenson would really fit into the mold or fit into that role that we saw him play last year, which was coming in late in the games because of his size, because of the, the, the physicality that he runs with. He's that running back who is going to wear you down and can take advantage of a defense that's been beaten up all game long. That's the role that I thought he would be relegated to. Instead, he steps out there, and I think we saw a little bit of a different Stevenson than what we saw oh, last for year. Sure, he's definitely stronger. And what's crazy to me is that he hasn't played this year. Right. I was expecting him to take a step back. I wasn't expecting him to be as game ready as what I believe he is currently, which is to say that he clearly hasn't been skipping out on workouts. He clearly hasn't been skipping out on film study and he clearly knows what his strengths are and leans into those mm-hmm. pretty heavily. But what we saw from Ramondre Stevenson that I don't think we saw a lot of last year was this patience. Now, some of that may be in play calling because obviously you have all of this motion moving right or left. And as that gap is opening up, you saw Ramondre Stevenson first off recognize that there was a hole to run through and two utilize that vertical speed to get through those gaps. Last year, I felt as though it was more of a, we're just going to run North and South. So quarterback's going to turn around and you're just going to follow whichever gap has been assigned to you and follow whoever that blocker is. If you get through great, if you don't, 
it's not a lost play because we're expecting you just to run out that clock. So again, a little bit of the patience, a little bit of that recognition was a, a, a very good thing for me to see out of Stevenson. And I have completely changed my opinion on him. And I'm saying that he's going to be the one that, that ultimately carries this team. And I believe if Oklahoma sticks with the game plan that we saw, I don't think they stuck to it 100% against Texas Tech. But when you were having success all the field, all over the field, excuse me, you didn't have to run the ball as much as we may have wanted them to in the early going and instead threw quite a bit as well. So if they'll ride the the strengths of Ramondre Stevenson, take some of that pressure off of Spencer Rattler, I think this is a team that, that seriously can consider running the table from mm-hmm. here. Well, they were off the pace a little bit compared to the previous two games, 55 rushing attempts against Texas. Keep in mind that went into four overtimes and then uh, 45 rushing attempts against TCU, only 39 rushing attempts against uh, Texas Tech, but way more effective. Uh, season high, 213 rushing yards and across the board. They averaged 5.5 yards per rush, 6.7 yards per attempt by Ramondre Stevenson himself. And I don't want to. I don't want to bore our listeners, and I certainly don't want to bore you because you're sitting across the table from me. The last thing I want you is snoring into the microphone. But you you have to you have to understand the difference that Ramondre makes. And and here it is in a nutshell. We have talked about extensively since that TCU game. Here's the new game plan. You run the ball, the safeties creep up. We we've said that, okay? Right. But here's the difference between Ramondre Stevenson and TJ Pledger. And by the way, this is not a knock on TJ Pledger whatsoever. This just it is what it is. They they creep up. They've got to play those gaps. They've got to be sound there. They've got to be focused on those gaps. But when you hit TJ Pledger, you're going to bring him down. I mean, for the most part, you're going to you're going to hit him and and you're going to bring him down. When you hit Ramondre Stevenson, you better pack a lunch and bring back up. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. It, it, there's such a there's such a, a a greater mental advantage. And here's what I'm, I'm going to talk about a big play in the game that actually didn't turn out for Oklahoma, but this proves the point. Early in the game, that, that first drive, Spencer Rattler's having some trouble. He's having some trouble finding the receivers and everyone's thinking, you know, Oh, there's no Charleston Rambo. Now what are we going to do? Well, what you do is you hit him with Ramon J. Stevenson. And when you're a safety or a linebacker or a nickel or a corner coming in on a blitz, and if you hit Ramondre, think about his first touchdown. What happened? He hits that hole, right? And then everyone's there. They meet him in the hole. Mm-hmm. What does he do? That the defenders hit him and they they bounce off and go to the ground. He just kind of spins to his left a little bit and takes the next gap and walks in for a touchdown. That may have been the second one I'm thinking about now. But but the point is, once you have been steamrolled, now not only are you monitoring the gap, right? But you're more mentally focused on that gap because you know you have to hit it and you have to hit it hard. So you're committing, you're selling out to hit that gap. And that allows a guy like Marvin Mims, when did Spencer Rattler find him? He found him later and he was wide open down the seam. He just didn't make the catch. But that play is available because those guys have to come up and they have to come up 110% into that gap when they're biting on. If they bite on play action, they are biting on play action. It's a, it's a complete sellout. And that's the difference between a guy like TJ Pleasure, who has been great for Oklahoma, two 
two games, back-to-back games, 100 yards plus, okay? So he didn't get that at, at Texas Tech because Ramondre steps in, his, in the spotlight. And this is what I've been talking about the whole time, going back to our conversation that where we disagreed on the impact that, that Ramondre would have. But there it is right now. And, of course, Kansas is Kansas, right? Everyone – Marcus Major may even get to play against Kansas, okay? Everybody gets to play against Kansas. But the point is, I I would expect a a lot more um, poise from Spencer Rattler moving forward, even more so than what we saw. And he was pretty poised uh, the other night. And, and, um, and it's all because you can't come at him. It, they're, they're, Lincoln Riley finally has on his offense – uncoverable situations because he ha- he finally has it where, okay, pick your poison. You're going to crash for the running backs. You're going to, you're going to double on Stogner. You're going to double on, on Marvin Mims. Okay. Well, guess what? We got a guy named Theo Weiss and, and he's got some jets, five receptions, 105 yards, average 21 yards per catch. And I really hated that he didn't get the end zone in that long one down the sidelines. But the point is, Lincoln Riley finally has his full arsenal, and now you're going to really see you're going to see some fine tuning type things for against Kansas, but then you're going to see the playbook open up against Oklahoma State, who we'll get into that at the end of the podcast. But they look susceptible suddenly on on two sides of the ball, and we'll talk about that later on. But Ramondre Stevenson, game changer for sure. One, one thing I do want to throw out here, Matt, is it seems as though the, these running backs are settling in to a number one, mm-hmm. number two, and number three. And it's a very unfortunate situation for TJ Pledger because he's the guy who explodes onto the scene in one game and then in the very next almost regresses to where he was earlier in the season. Here's a guy who we saw, you've mentioned it, I've mentioned it, the 100-yard rushing um two games back to back the 100 yard rushing games and then a 2.7 average six carries i get it but the Ramondre Stevenson carrying it 13 times is not to say that he's a basically leading all i don't know how to phrase this what i'm tr- what i'm attempting to say though is 13 carries is a long cry from 25 and when you begin to look at the discrepancy between 13 and 6, it's not that great of a difference. But ultimately, what I think we're seeing is Ramondre Stevenson's going to be your number one option. There's For no sure. question. Yeah, you can't you can't doubt that. After for me, the but other number night. two behind him, I just don't know how you can ignore Seth McGowan. And Seth McGowan is a, a do-it-all running back. Not only has he shown the capability of running the ball out of the backfield, but he's also shown that he can catch passes. Of all the running backs on this roster, Seth McGowan was targeted the most amount of times in the passing game, catching five of those passes. Now, not extremely successful with just the nine yards, but we are seeing that pecking order sort itself out, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. And I think regardless of what the depth chart says, I'm going into the next game saying Stevenson, number one, McGowan, number two. No, it's here's, here's what you're missing in all this. There is a clear pecking order. You're right. Stevenson is is number one. Pledger's still number two. McGowan's number three. What's being overlooked here is game flow. I mean, this game was over in the second quarter, and you've got you know you you've got Tanner Mordecai coming out on Oklahoma's second offensive possession, and and what a lot of people may not have noticed that was a complete in hockey you'd call it a shift change or a line change. It was across the board second unit offense, 
And then, so when you do that, that, that turns it more into a Seth McGowan show than a TJ pleasure show. If this, I I'm fully convinced and I could be wrong. Time could play out for me, but if this was a tighter game, you know, going into the third quarter, fourth quarter, then TJ pleasure would have had more attempts than what McGowan had. But, McGowan just kind of got the game flow third and he scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter. He's the only one of the three major backs still playing in the fourth quarter. So I, I don't, I don't look at it from that perspective. I think it's, we're both agreed as clearly Ramondre Stevenson at number one, but I, I TJ pleasure in my book, still number two. And, and I think there's going to be time. We were talking about this. My crew that was watching the game Saturday night, I think there's going to be times when you're going to have TJ Pledger and Ramondre Stevenson in the backfield and then Seth McGowan in the slot. I mean, like I said, Lincoln Riley, he has a full arsenal now and he's going to have a lot of fun with it. I can't disagree. And and one thing that we have continuously noted of Lincoln Riley is that he's a master of finding the mismatch. Mm-hmm. Or if there isn't one, he's been able to create a mismatch by using some of this versatile personnel on the field and switching up the looks or even switching a player's position, maybe putting a running back in that slot position. Again, maybe having multiple running backs. We've talked numerous times about the the diamond formation from not that long ago, but it's still in the past and it's not something we see very often, if at all, throughout the duration of a 60-minute game. But what we, again... Well, it just depends on who you watch. You still see it if you watch Oklahoma State or West Virginia. <laughs> right. But what we do see, again, is that Houston. ability that ability to take advantage of weaknesses in other teams that another team may have not even known they had. And that's been the greatness of Lincoln Riley. What I do want to say, Matt, because you had mentioned this about Spencer Rattler, and I'm really going to transition us into the next segment of this podcast. You talked about the poise that Spencer Rattler had. Mm -hmm. You talked about taking a lot of that pressure off of him because of what Stevenson brings to the table just by being present. Doesn't matter if he has the ball or not. Pulling those safeties in towards that line of scrimmage and letting these these receivers either run in one-on-one coverage or settle down in a zone that has no defenders around them. We began to see, again, my opinion here, we began to see Austin Stogner alleviate a lot of the concerns that we had from him dating I, back to that I, Texas game. I don't know. I don't, I mean, it's one game. Okay. So it's one game because he, he was, he was, he had this, the problems against Texas, but again, he had the big touchdown catch against Texas. He had the dropsies against TCU. He had a great game out in Lubbock. I mean, and he was one of the guys, if you if you listen to our podcast last week to preview this game, he's one of the guys that I just, I want to watch. I want to see how he responds. Right. And he responded well. I mean, he only had three catches, but he averaged almost 26 yards per reception and he scored his second touchdown of the season. So there was opportunity there. I think, again, had this game not been such a complete blowout, we probably would have seen more of Austin Stogner. But one game is not enough for me to say, yeah, he's there. He's finally what we want him to be. Um, but it's definitely encouraging. And now what I want, what I want to see, if, if you think about what we said prior to this game, you run Marvin Mins deep and then you run someone underneath, right? That, that underneath guy was Theo Weiss. 
And Theo Weiss had a fantastic game. Again, over 500 yards receiving on, on five receptions. What do you do now when Rambo comes back? You run two guys deep. And here, here's what I, I – I mean, I'm just – I'm excited. We're not going to see a lot of this against Kansas. You're going to see flashes. If anything. You no, know, you're going to see flashes of formations because you, you've got to give Oklahoma State some film to set you up to do what you want to do. But let me, let me just throw this at you, okay? You're, you're a defensive coordinator. And you're facing Oklahoma. You got Charleston Rambo who can stretch the field. You got Marvin Mims who can stretch the field. You and then you got Weiss who has proven to be a burner. If you if he gets the ball in space underneath, it's there's not going to be a five yard reception. It's going to be you know a 15 to 50 yard reception just to have been on how much space he has. And then you got Austin Sogner who can stretch the seam. So there's four receivers coming at you. And then Ramondre Stevenson is in the backfield. What do you do with your safeties? How do you play your safeties against that? Uh, you play 12 men on the field and, and hope <laughs> well, no one catches you? That's But that's the point I'm making is that when I keep saying he's got the full arsenal, mm-hmm. you, you can't help but be excited about what he's got going for him. I, you know, I will say this, though, about Oklahoma's offense and, and the, the overall passing game against Spencer Rattler, spectacular. And here's something – this is – I'm I'm scatterbrained, but I, I do want to say this about Spencer Rattler: 21 of 30, 288 yards, two touchdowns. But you know, two of his incompletions were spiking the ball. Did you realize that? Yes. So I mean, that's it's it's even better than what it looks like on paper is is what I'm saying. Um, but it, it did seem to me as if Marvin Mims was suddenly a little bit shy of the spotlight can i say that you know i don't want to take away from the fantastic season he's having and i don't want to move away from the fact that i i still believe he's the best receiver right now that this team has but when when rambo is on the other side of the field he he's a completely different player right marvin mims that is when charleston rambo is okay so you're you're picking up what i'm saying yeah exactly that drop this was the first time and in Marvin Mims' career, this was the first time that it's a he, short career, but it's right. a career nonetheless. I mean, it's a six-game career, but it's the first time that he's gone into this game, gone into a game as the you have, you know, he hadn't even started. This was his first start in six games. It's the first time they're like, dude, you're number one. You're the top receiver. You are that guy, you know. And he, I, I feel like again, he's young. This time last year, the guy's playing high school football, but this. He he does better right now. He does better living in the shadow, you know. And and you think about the great receivers. At some point, they lived in the shadow. Right. You know, you go Marquise Brown, C.D. Lamb. You know, all these guys. You go all the way back, Brian Broyles. You know, you find your best receiver, your favorite receiver. They were in a shadow for a little bit. And Marvin Mims has been in a little bit, and that's not that's not like he's on the field with CD lamb, but mm-hmm. still Rambo is that guy who everyone knows his speed and he Rambo's not having the type of season that everyone thought he was going to have, but he's still a guy that you got to respect his speed. He he's a guy who will impact much like we've talked about Ramondre Stevenson, his presence mm-hmm, exactly. on the field impacts the game. It impacts the way you approach the game as a defense and it impacts the, the personnel on the field as well, because we know that Charleston Rambo 
more often than not, is going to draw the best corner on the field, regardless of where he lines up. All of a sudden, that was Marvin Mims. And without that experience, too, without being in a college weight training program for an extended period of time, we saw a little bit of those weaknesses show up because physically he's still a high school kid. Now, of course, he's progressing. Of course, that that's a work in progress, and we will see him. Let's just talk about C.D. Lamb really quickly, because C.D. Lamb's right. final year, he wasn't even a senior on campus, but C.D. Lamb started showing up in photos preseason. And yeah. what were people saying? Talking about his body transition. Exactly. Right. We, we haven't seen that out of Marvin Mims, and it just it, it's really something that points to the youngness, the inexperience of a guy named Marvin Mims, who has a great future ahead of him. Don't get Absolutely, me wrong. Yeah, and I'm not saying he does. Right. I mean, yeah. But we're, we're just waiting for those intangibles to come along, to catch up to the skill level at this level of, of football. Well, here's the difference between the Marvin Mims we're seeing six games into his collegiate career, as opposed to, Mar- to the Marvin Mims we're expecting to see as a junior. Cause uh, I think he's on the CD lamb track. Okay. We're getting this kid for three years. But the difference between what we see after six games and what I expect we'll see in his third season, he was average. He was average against Texas Tech. Four catches, 60 yards. That's an average game. But he was two drops away from being exceptional. He wasn't exceptional because they didn't give him the ball. He wasn't <laughs> exceptional because he ran the wrong routes. He wasn't exceptional because he couldn't get – they couldn't break free. They were covering him. He wasn't exceptional because he dropped two passes that would have given him a touchdown – and well over 100 yards receiving. He would have had one of the Big 12 highlight plays on that on that second quarter bomb that just it just didn't get completed. So th- that's the difference. That's what I'm talking about. I think there was there Marvin Mims in my opinion had not played with pressure this season. Now because it's always been Charleston Rambo. Regardless of what the stats say, right. he's the elder statesman in this receiver core. And now, all of a sudden, everyone's looking at Marvin Mims. And that was pressure. I'm not blaming the kid. This is a growing moment for him. He will be better because of this moment, in my opinion. I got One more thing about the offense I, I want to throw out here, Rich, is that how good is Bill Biedenboe at what he does for a living? Because this offensive line is night and day different than what we have seen well, we saw the first half of the season. We saw them, again, I think everything for this team, the transition seems to be the third quarter of the Texas game. We saw them transition, and then we saw them begin to dominate against TCU, and then we just saw them embarrass Texas Tech. I mean, you're seeing guys, well, you saw it against TCU. There, there was one play where I think it was, well, I'm pretty sure it's Creed Humphrey was blocking a guy all the way into the end zone and then just tossed him once he gets him there. You you starting to see that come out of this offensive line, and I'm I'm here for it, man. I'm loving it. I gotta ask one question as a follow up to that. You and I had a conversation here on this podcast that centered around Tyrese Robinson potentially being replaced by Chris Murray. Based upon your statement just now, you're saying there's there's been this shift. Since the Red River Red River rivalry, it's easy for you to say, yeah, uh-huh, right. <laughs> There's been this shift. Is is Tyrese Robinson? Is he the guy that we still think will be replaced by a talent like Chris Murray? Look, man, if they play, if they play the way they played um, 
the last two weeks, I wouldn't touch them. I mean, I you said they're, you were. I mean, you said you. They're were not wrong. playing a perfect game. Oh, they're playing way better than they, they were. They are playing better, but they didn't play a perfect game. Well, they're, you're never going to get a perfect game. And the one game. guy that I could single out was Robinson. Yeah, I know, because I was yelling at him. I, I was <laughs> yelling at him, but uh, look, I, I, I have no reason to doubt Bill Biedenboe. Because I'm, I'm talking to people out there, and, and we're watching this game, and we're going, why in the world is Eric Swenson still starting? You know, but you didn't hear his name called. And when you're an offensive lineman, you don't want your name to be called because that means you probably did a false start or you held <clears throat> Tyrese Robinson. Um, but Bill Biedenboe's found the magic formula and he's doing it. And these guys are gaining confidence every week. Every week they're gaining confidence. I Three weeks ago, even after the Texas game, I'm looking at this matchup between Oklahoma's offensive line and Oklahoma State's defensive line. And I'm thinking, man, these guys, they're gonna get they're gonna get their tails kicked. They're not aggressive enough. They're not mean enough. They're not nasty enough. And now two weeks later, after TCU and Texas Tech, I'm like, this is gonna be fun. I can't wait to watch that battle. Because it's gonna be a toe-to-toe heavyweight fight. I promise you. You're going to see guys snotting and cussing and spitting <laughs> and rolling over each other. I mean, this, both of these units, Oklahoma's offensive line, it's never too early to preview Bedlam. Oklahoma's offensive line, Oklahoma State's defensive line, that is going to be a knockdown, dragout, heavyweight fight. And I think Oklahoma can go toe-to-toe now. I didn't feel that way three weeks ago. But now I'm like, I can't wait to watch this thing go, unfold. Oklahoma with the second game of the season, collecting more than one rushing touchdown in a oh, single. Oh yeah, let's talk about this. In a yeah, single that was a, game. that was one of the true or false questions, right? <laughs> in a single game. Here's what I want to point out, though, Matt, is I, I don't need to validate the Ramondre Stevenson argument that you've given. I've already admitted that I was wrong, but we see Oklahoma's average on the ground go from 3.69 against TCU, 3.78, by the way, against Texas to 5.46. Let's go ahead and round that up. We'll 5. say 5.5. 5. And a half. If Oklahoma can continue that kind of a clip, if they can continue to run the ball at that kind of a pace, this is going to be an extremely difficult team to stop. I have consistently looked at the running stats because of how often Oklahoma has led the Big 12 Conference in rushing yards, and and that was per game. They're not the front runner. They're not the clear cut. They're not even in the top three at this point in rushing yards per game, but we're seeing, once again, a change. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've I've said on this podcast when asked – Matt, that I liked about this team and why there was reason to be optimistic. It was because they were willing to do something different. They were willing to make a change. And I I think we're really continue or we're seeing the continuation of that. Explain a little bit more. When you say they're willing to make a change, Mm -hmm. talk a little bit more. What, What are you saying? Yeah. So ultimately I had this mindset at the beginning of the season that Oklahoma had I don't want to say they were stuck in a rut, but they had their 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 group of starters, and that was a group that wasn't really going to change. Once you earned that starting role, you couldn't lose it. All of a sudden, we we saw after the Iowa State game, 
that mindset was was completely destroyed for me because of the Joshua Eaton conversation, because of the Woody Washington conversation. Guess what, Matt? Woody Washington started. Mm-hmm. First I get, start of his career. Yeah. I get that DTY wasn't available. And so a versatile player like Trey Norwood steps in against Texas Tech and has an absolute career day for himself. Trey Norwood could very well be a difference maker for the secondary. I'd like to see him back up what well, he did yes. against Texas Tech. I want to see him start, but not not for DTY. And we'll talk about that. Right, but, right, right. That That's another conversation for sure. No, there's a starting spot for him. I 100% agree there's a starting spot for him. I do too. Okay. I All do right. too. All I'm saying is that Trey Norwood steps on that versatility. I want to see him back up that performance with another one. I'm not saying he needs to get two interceptions every game. I'm not even saying he needs an interception, one interception every game, but we want to see him put himself in the right place at the right time on a consistent basis, which is exactly what he did against Texas tech. And he's the guy who could play all over the secondary. Stop distracting me from, from where I was going, my argument here. Okay. (laughs) The, the reason that I said they're willing to do something different is because One, we saw it on the field. I mentioned the defensive changes that Oklahoma was making. Two, we saw it on the the depth chart. We saw this willingness to throw things into the equation for another team to prepare for. Whether, let's take Ronnie Perkins. Let's take Ramondre Stevenson against TCU. They were listed on the depth chart. Both as starters, correct me if I'm wrong there, neither of them played. Now, all of a sudden, we we see them played. We'll talk about the impact that Ronnie Perkins had a little bit later, but we see them play. It's just that willingness to do some things different. We've seen a consistent change along the the left side of the offensive line, and now they finally got something that works. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I don't think you change it, but again, it's the, we gave you that starting spot, but you have to earn that every day. And so when I say there's a willingness to do things differently or to think differently. It's in retracting that statement of once you've earned that starting role, you're, you're there for the year. Right. But I, but I feel like now it's, you're in a starting role and you've got to prove to us that you're worthy of it each weekend. Well, and it makes a big time difference when there's someone behind you. Suddenly there's someone behind you in your position group, be it a Christopher Murray or be it a uh, Trey Norwood or be it a Ronnie Perkins, suddenly they're at your position where you're underperforming. Guess what? There's a guy there who doesn't just want to take your spot. He may be good enough to take your spot. And that changes everything with the way you approach even practice. And so I think we're seeing Oklahoma benefit from that as well. Hey, what, we're going to flip, flip sides and we're going to talk about defense. But here's one thing, two things I, I think we should mention. Overall in this game, Oklahoma, only two penalties for, for 15, a total of 15 yards. Texas Tech, 11 penalties for 85 yards. That That's big. But Oklahoma, again, I don't know that we've talked about this at all, Rich, but it's something that's that's worth noting. It's the time of possession. You know, we, we've talked, we, we are used to this being a quick strike, score fast, blitzum type offense. But Oklahoma, 36 minutes and 23 seconds in time of possession. I think, I, I don't have time right now. I'm just going off what I think I, to, to go back and look up everything. But I think in every game this season, Oklahoma has led in time of possession. And that's something that's worth note because what are you doing? You're keeping your studs on offense on the field. And the defense, 
of the other team, they're on the field a lot, and your defense has some time to rest. And I think that's helping the defensive performance for OU. To the time of possession, man, when you started speaking of it, I you zoned I, out, didn't you? You fell no, asleep I, on me. I feel as though this one may have been skewed because of the number of turnovers. But I, I don't think, but I, I again, I, I don't think it, this is a one-time deal. I, I think it's something that's going on with Oklahoma. Well, let's just pull up TCU stats real fast. Yeah, we can go back and look. Of course, <laughs> TCU time of possession: thirty-three minutes and sixteen seconds. TCU only had 26-44. Well, we, we can deduce if they're over the 30 oh, mark. My bad. That, okay. My bad. That they, okay. They, <laughs> well, let's, let's, look at, let's look at Texas then, okay? You're, you're, you're telling me you're good at math. Come on, huh? Watson. Now, Texas, uh, Texas, 36 minutes, four seconds. You want me to keep going? Are, you are, 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 are you, do you see a pattern here? That, I, I would believe that there's a pattern from Texas forward, I think it would be in the opposite direction. Well, let's look the at the opposite State direction then. previously. Iowa previous State, 33 minutes, 34 seconds. Huh. Do you want me to keep going? Now that surprises me. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I think this has been a thing all season long, and we've just not talked about it. Kansas I, State. Uh, ha, have yeah, we, Kansas State, 32 minutes and eight have seconds. Have we not talked about it, or have we mentioned it under the guise of a, another title, which is the lack of big plays? You talked about a quick maybe, strike maybe, offense. Maybe that's a good point. That's, you talked yes. about a quick strike offense. And what I said about this Oklahoma offense was that their ability to deliver big plays was lacking pretty significantly. And I attributed that a lot to the the inexperience that was on the field. I'm going to go ahead and look at Missouri State just so I can do all of them. Okay. I know I know it's I know they've got it in Missouri State, but just for my peace of mind. I, I do believe though 37 that... minutes 11 seconds against Missouri State. You know, I, I listen, I I, I got to throw a shout out to my son Craig because he's the one who brought this up to me. He's like, "Dad, are they I mean, are they not having the big plays or are they playing better defensively cuz Oklahoma is possessing the ball longer." Now, he was a college quarterback, so he notices these things way quicker than I do cuz he's also young and has a sharper mind, but it's a point to watch for In six games, Oklahoma has dominated the time of possession. I want to go back and look and see how long, I mean, compared to years past, is, is this something new for OU? Cause I don't know that. I think in all the years we've done our websites, Crimson and Cream Machine, Heartland Sports, all the years we've done this, this podcast, have we ever had a conversation about Oklahoma dominating time not. of possession? We have not. Yeah, so... It, it, and it's easy not to have that conversation because <laughs> I hearken back to when... Was it was it Army or Air Force? It was Army that came to, here. Yeah, Kyler, yeah, yeah. Kyler Murray as the quarterback. I was in, I was in Hawaii. Oh, yes, my gosh. You want to talk about that dominating yes. time of possession? Uh, that's so stressful. Those, Such those, a stressful game. Those are the teams you think of. The teams more specifically that run a triple option or something that looks like a triple option, like a Georgia Tech. But that was a ridiculous time of possession. Advantage. It was. I mean, it was. We're talking o- about. It felt like Oklahoma had three offensive right, possessions. Yes. It, now Oklahoma hasn't been that bad. <laughs> right. But, but that was just absolutely Which ridiculous. I, I would be curious now because I just made mention here moments ago that Oklahoma's led the Big Twelve in rushing yards, right. rushing yards per game. When you run the ball successfully, it's typically a hint that you're controlling the time of possession. 
I would be curious to go back just over the past five years. We could even look at the three that Lincoln Riley has been head coach and get a really good sense of where Oklahoma stands and where they're moving towards. Because if that was Oklahoma was losing that time of possession, didn't mean they were losing the game, but 24 minutes time of possession to 27 minutes time of possession, you've still lost the time of possession if you scored 62 points or if you scored 14, yeah, it, it didn't really matter in the grand scheme when we're talking about specifically time of possession. So again, I, I would be curious. Offensive player of the game for the Sooners, you got someone other than Ramondre Stevenson? I don't. Okay. I let's, mean, that that's an easy one. Yeah, let's transition to defense then. Oklahoma's defense holds Texas Tech to uh, 18 first downs for the game, 4 of 11 on third down, 0 for 1 on fourth down. The Red Raiders did have 400 yards of total offense, but you got to keep in consideration that there were 14 garbage time points scored in the fourth quarter. Red Raiders also with over 100 yards on the ground, going for 134. But again, you got to keep in mind, everybody played. Everybody played in this game. So you got... Um, you got to keep some of those considerations in. This was a great defensive performance for the University of Oklahoma. And as we said at the top of the podcast, it starts with Oklahoma finally able to get those turnovers. The two interceptions by Trey Norwood, and then you've got the fumble recovery. Was it Isaiah Thomas who got the fumble recovery? Um, so you've, you've got, you finally get this defense making those type of plays, and the, the game turned on an interception. I mean, th- this game totally changed with Oklahoma getting that first interception. And, and I, you know, Texas Tech comes out of the gate. They score. They're up 7 nothing, And then Oklahoma is able to score. And then they get that, um, they get that, that first Trey Norwood pick. And then it was – there was a, a significant difference in the two sidelines and a significant difference – as far as the guys on the field, just the way they played, you, you, you just saw it different. And then that second trade, this game was, it, it turned at the first trade Norwood interception. This game was over at the second trade Norwood interception. Over. Over. I mean, completely you, over. Look, Oklahoma, they think about this. I didn't think that on the 75 yard touchdown reception, <laughs> but no, no, no. Think about this. Oklahoma went from being down Follow me here with 12 minutes and 20 seconds left in the first quarter. So it took Texas tech less than three minutes to score. Mm-hmm. So with 12 20, Oklahoma was down seven, nothing with six minutes and 28 seconds left in the half. Oklahoma is up 42 to seven. Yeah. One thing we didn't talk about was a little bit of a rocky start for this Oklahoma team. And it's what, what well, it you're was a alluding rocky to start for the, for the defense. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. We're talking about the defense here, are we not? No, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, saying no, yeah. we we haven't really mentioned it. It happened, though, and that's what you're alluding to, was a little bit of that slow start. All of a sudden, the interception changes the tides. The big mo, as people like to call it, the momentum in the game swung pretty favorably into Oklahoma's favor. And then on that second interception, it was as if Oklahoma had the momentum and was not letting it go. You definitely saw that. I think you could feel that if you were watching it live or if you were just watching it on TV, you could definitely feel that momentum. I watched it by myself. 
Um, there were other people in the room, but I watched it by myself um, because a Hallmark movie was on or, or something like that. And so I sat and I watched it on a computer and I can remember tr- not trying to interrupt what other people are doing, but, you know, letting out these these moments of excitement and verbally doing that and then having to look up and say, sorry, forgot you guys were in the room. And it's because I could feel that momentum shift happen. So I... I'm looking at what Trey Norwood's accomplishments were in that singular game and saying that those two interceptions certainly had a huge impact on where Oklahoma stood at, at, at halftime. Well, here's what I'm talking about. Oklahoma kicks off to Texas Tech. Opening possession, seven plays, 75 yards, touchdowns. It took two minutes and 40 seconds. And then Oklahoma can't get what we talked about with offensive recap. Spencer Rattler. Can't find his guys. Oklahoma can't go. They go three and out on their first drive, right? And then Texas Tech, four plays, negative 23 yards, punt. Oklahoma scores. You're tied 7-7. Texas Tech, interception. Oklahoma scores, 14-7. You're talking about that momentum. You felt the momentum. Do you know who else felt the momentum? (laughs) Matt Wells. Because all of a sudden, you're down. You, you see things changing. What does he do? He goes for it on fourth down right? and doesn't get it. And I can't believe the play call there, by the way. You're going to run into the teeth of this defense, this Oklahoma. Everyone, everybody knows this front seven for Oklahoma is special. And then you've got number seven there. you got Ronnie Perkins back in the game. Okay, what's well, fourth down? Let's run at him. When, look, look what they did in that opening possession. And Oklahoma give... Give Alex Grinch, let's give him the credit because he has been the whipping boy for this, um, for the, the shortcomings, right? But let's, let's credit adjustments. And Matt Wells knows he's in trouble. So what does he do? He goes for it. And w- that's a turnover, Rich. We talked about three turnovers. There's a fourth turnover right there. It's called a turnover on downs. We counted this as a turnover against Oklahoma, against Kansas State. It's absolutely a turnover for Texas Tech. And what happens? Touchdown. Following ensuing possession for Texas Tech. Interception. What happens? Oklahoma touchdown. And that's what I'm saying. Texas Tech went from being up 7 nothing less than three minutes into this game to being down 42-7 to with six and some change left in the half. And what's the difference? Trey Norwood interception, that started it. Turnover on downs, Trey Norwood interception, this game is over. That That's the point I'm making. Uh, and I see where you're coming from. So let, let's talk about the impact outside of Trey Norwood. No, he was the only guy on the field. It was just Trey, it was the Trey Norwood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So when we're Columbia's staring down his receivers, Trey Norwood's Trey Norwood just appearing there. 11 yeah, times. Absolutely. It's of like course. Bobby Boucher out there. <laughs> Showed up at halftime. The, <laughs> the bourbon bowl. <laughs> hey, um, Matt, I, I did want to look at the the impact here that Ronnie Perkins had because okay. he's another guy. I've, I, I, I don't know how many times I've said this now. When we look at Ramondre Stevenson, we knew that his presence would be felt. Whether I may not have agreed with that initially. But you came around to it. I came around to it whether he had the ball in his hands or not. And Ronnie Perkins, I said, would have the biggest impact of any three of the suspended players once he re-entered the equation mm-hmm. and set foot on this field, not just the sideline. I think we saw a little bit of that because you saw one Ronnie Perkins be successful and you saw him 
yet again in the backfield, causing chaos, which this defensive front seven had done pretty consistently on their own without Ronnie Perkins available. You can go back and look at the stats of Nick Benito. You can look at some of those other linebackers like David Uguebu as well. But you can look at a guy that I've picked out as a favorite for this year, which is Isaiah Thomas. Right. All of these guys have had an impact in the backfield. And then you put a, a big body, whether you want to call him a nose guard, defensive tackle, doesn't bother me one way or the other, but a Perrion Winfrey and a, and a Josh Ellison. All of a sudden, you have this, this recipe for success at not only stopping the run, but in getting a pass rush to actually get to mm -hmm. the quarterback. I was kind of surprised just watching this game that there weren't more quarterback hurries. There are only four logged on the stat sheet because Oklahoma seemed to make a living in the backfield. Right. And again, I think that's because of the inherent impact that Ronnie Perkins has on the game just by his presence. Well, the, the sacks, Texas Tech runs such a quick, quick offense. I mean, you, you gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta get. Didn't it, even bother me with the sacks. I'm just looking at quarterback hurries here. Well, but still, I mean, it, it's just, it's the same principle. If if the if if he can get to his first read, it's gone, it's gone. Uh, and so this type of offense, and it's going to be the same thing with Oklahoma State. You got to take away the first read and make him hesitate on the second read, and then you have a chance to get to him. So that's why you only have four quarterback hurries. That's why you only have you only have two sacks in the game. But think about this: when you're talking about Ronnie Perkins, you're talking about more than just what's on the stats. I mean, he only had three tackles for the right. game. Now two for loss, but he only had three tackles for the game. But Isaiah Thomas, one and a half sacks. Why is that? Because Ronnie Perkins. I mean, there's you, you got to attribute to Ronnie. I'm not saying Isaiah In, Thomas doesn't need Ronnie Perkins to be successful. We've seen that through five games. But we, the attention that Ronnie Perkins draws is it's same thing. What you mm -hmm. what you just said exactly. is what Ramondre Stevenson's bringing. You're like, oh my gosh, do we? Uh, is your offensive line sliding left or sliding right? Where are you lining up your tight end now? What's your what's your protection for your running back? It all changes when you mm -hmm. put Ronnie Perkins on the field. And that's the biggest impact he has. Not in this. Ramondre Stevenson's impact shows up in the stats. The only thing I wanted to add to that is it wasn't as if this defensive line was being tasked with something flashy. Mm -hmm. They they weren't doing anything that immediately caught your attention or anything that looked out of the norm in order to get to the quarterback. And that's a very welcome to sight. Right. Given the success that this defensive line has had, we mentioned against the run. We talk about the front seven as a whole, but now getting that quarterback pressure, I, I wish that would have existed a little bit more against a guy like Skylar Thompson or even, I mean, forgive me for the, the Iowa State game, but we're, we're going to bring that one up as well. No, I, I agree. But, I mean, you didn't have it, but but now you do. And you got to move right. forward. And and the thing is, is you, you got – Nine tackles for loss in this game. Okay, you you've got an, an, a defensive front seven that is wreaking havoc in the opponent's backfield. That's why you're getting three turnovers. Why are those snaps low? Why is that handoff not in the right spot for the running back to get it? Why are those passes sailing high? Because you've got nine tackles for loss. That means that the defense is there every play. 
And so, again, you you move on this now. Kansas isn't going to be as big of a deal as even what they were last year. But now you're scheming for Oklahoma State because you've got to trust your defensive backs to figure out who is that first option for Spencer Sanders. Who's that second option for Spencer Sanders? You got to you got to make him you got to take away the first option. You got to make him hesitate on the second option and you're in the backfield. And what we learned about Oklahoma State on Saturday was they're going to give you the ball. I mean, if you if you put the pressure on them, what are they going to do? They're going to give you the ball. Is Texas a better team than Oklahoma State? No. But is Kansas State a better team than Oklahoma? I don't believe so. But when you give them the ball four times and you never take it from them, you're probably going to lose in this league, unless you're playing Kansas. <laughs> the, but all that stems from putting pressure, wreaking havoc in that backfield. And Oklahoma has, a like, like Lincoln Riley, has the full arsenal now. Oklahoma on defense, Alex Grinch, has another tool in his arsenal, another weapon there. And again, you're 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 approaching the line. I, I said this about the safety, okay? You're the running back. You're Matt, your 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 job is, is to either chip or protect. So you approach the line. You got Perry and Winfrey right there in the middle. You got Ronnie Perkins to your left, Isaiah Thomas to your right, and Nick Benito's floating around somewhere and about three point you know, three tenths of a second before the ball is snapped, you see that entire defensive line shift to the left or the right. You're the running back. Who do you got? You see what I'm saying? I do see what you're there, saying. There's a big problem here for for Big 12 offenses moving forward facing this front seven. And and I, I was going to save this for the end, but I'm going to go ahead and just throw this out here now since we've talked so much about Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson. Lincoln Riley's next big challenge is convincing these guys to forego the NFL and come back one more year. I don't think either one of them, truthfully, I don't think either one of them is going to be a a first or second round draft pick at this point. Now, I think Ronnie could probably work his way into that. I don't I don't know that Ramondre Stevenson can. But now you're saying, guys, if you'll come back and play a full season, Ramondre, you're going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. Ronnie, you're going to be a first round guy. You're going to you're going to be up there for all the awards. You're going to be an All American you got to sell them on coming back because this defense is only going to get stronger going into 2021. And you can keep the, I mean, you can keep almost this entire front seven. There's because everyone gets to come back. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's going to be the selling point, but Ronnie Perkins with a big impact on this defense. And there's, there's, it's not a coincidence that you add extra pressure and you have three turnovers. That's not a coincidence at all. What we're seeing, Matt, is really a translation into to third down conversions. Oklahoma has been extremely successful on the defensive side of the ball when facing third down, and it's because they're they're winning on first and second down. We saw that that trend begin to set itself in stone against Texas, and that was without. Ronnie Perkins, mm-hmm. as we've mentioned. So we knew that this this defense was pretty darn good on third down when tasked with stopping an opposing offense. You look at the game against Iowa State, Iowa State converts 60% of their third down attempts. That's ridiculously high. 
Then all of a sudden against Texas, you see that drop to 35.2. It stays there against TCU, 35.7. And I thought that was Oklahoma's best performance all around up to that point of the season. And then we get this Texas Tech game. And again, it's hovering right in that same number, 36 Point three. The defense has is, is really prided themselves on that third down conversion rate uh-huh. or limiting opponents to convert on third down. But I think it's only going to get better from here because on the back end of this defense, it, it's been the weakness that we've pointed out. We've looked at players like Brendan Radley Hiles, who has taken the full brunt of the complaints of the defensive secondary at this point. But there's other. I don't other... think the full brunt. I, mean, I there, do. No, there's been. Matt, I'm. I was still hearing it today. Well, you should. I was still no. hearing it today, okay. and it's been. Uh, it's been uh, all I'm season going there long. Next, but I'll go ahead. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. All I'm saying is, when you introduce Ronnie Perkins into the equation, the 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 single unit that his presence helps the most is the secondary because they no longer have to cover quite as long as they they have been asked to in the past. And so we're going to see those numbers. I think we're going to see those for the secondary. We're going to see those begin to settle in at a more acceptable number than maybe what (laughs) what people are thinking of when they think back to not just Kansas state in, in Deuce Vaughn, but also Iowa state and those big receivers. No, you're you're absolutely right, and and that's that's what I was saying. When you're able to wreak havoc in the backfield, it it makes a difference on on the what what the other team does with the ball. And um, by the way, we got some breaking news here. Um, here we go. Um, we're I mean, by the time you listen to the podcast, it won't be breaking news. But as we're recording it. Uh, I want to thank the Lord for all that he has blessed me with, because without him, none of this is possible. I want to thank my parents and sister and father's support. Also, I want to thank my coaches, family, and friends. While analyzing my options, I truly believe I found the best fit for me wait, wait, wait. to help me get to the next level. Wait, wait, After wait. lots of prayer, Billy Bowman, I am committing to the University of Oklahoma. Billy Bowman. You, you've been calling that one since Thursday. Matt, right? Well, maybe, I mean, maybe not publicly, but I've heard no, you I think say I it said at it least on the podcast. Okay, that, I yeah. say I've heard you say it at least on two separate occasions that Billy Bowman would be the next player to commit to the University of Oklahoma, and it was what several of the players on the team had begun tweeting the O out right. for. Yep. Well, there it is, Billy Bowman, and uh, we'll get a post up about that at uh, heartland-sports.com if you want to know more about it, but. What I was saying is uh, you're absolutely right. We're, we're on track with the same thing. You wreak havoc in the backfield and suddenly the ball's up for grabs. You know, suddenly there, there's an opportunity there for you to, to, to get a, a pass that's been deflected or to get a pass that's been, you know, launched into orbit just because the quarterback's under so much pressure. And that's the difference. That, that's exactly what we're talking about. Can we mention two things about Texas Tech? Number one, I hope you didn't just burp into the microphone. I did that's, not. That's what it looked like. Number <laughs> number one, I was shocked that Sir Roderick Thompson had four carries throughout the, the entire game. Well, but we had talked about how much he would be used, mm-hmm. whether he's we hurt did. or not. Texas Tech has a stigma of underusing running backs, but go ahead. 
So Roderick Thompson, four carries, utterly shocked me. Number two was given the experience that Alan Bowman has and knowing that he was available for that game, why did Texas Tech not go to him earlier to see if he could potentially rally the troops, so to speak, and put Texas Tech in a little bit of a closer contest than what this one was? And even this one wasn't as close. You mentioned it as the the scoreboard says it was. Well, I... You saw him finally, but I mean, clearly Texas yeah, Tech has end. clearly Texas Tech has made I'm, the decision I'm, to move away from Billy from Bowman, and I'm, I'm seeing a Alan transfer Bo- in I'm his future. I'm getting Billy Bowman and Allen Bowman confused now. Yes, but yes, I agree. I, I don't I don't know that he sticks it out. He was four for four in the time he got in on the game, but I, I don't know that he he he's going to stick it out because they've they've gone. I mean, look, if you're not going to get a chance in that game when things are going right. so bad. You're not and, getting a chance. They've what, moved away from him. I, that's exactly what it says. Because the investment is clearly in Columbia. And the investment was to get him more reps in a game situation. Knowing that he didn't start the season as the starter, but has taken over in the past two games as the the clear starter for Texas Tech and the, the future that they want to move forward with. Let me throw this out to you. Um, here's the starting secondary. Trey Norwood starts in in uh, place of Delarian Turner-Yell, who was out with the Rona. Pat Fields starts at safety. Then your corners, you got Woody Washington making his first start of the season. Trey Brown with the other uh, start on the other side. And then you got Buki at the nickel. Well, what are you about to ask here? Are we going back? Here, Here's my question to you. Five players, strong safety, safety, nickelback, corner, and corner. Who's your weak link? Nickel. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I, I think it's time. Well, first of all, before I go any further, let me say this. We did not hear Brandon Radley Hiles name mentioned in this game. And what that means is, what that tells me is he didn't have a bad game. He wasn't terrible. He, he didn't he didn't get torched. He didn't get a ridiculous penalty. You know, he, he didn't do a typical Brendan Radley Hiles game. One assisted tackle. Okay, but that's fine. But that, what it means is they didn't pick on him. Right. You know, why was he the leading tackler against TCU? Because they picked on him. All I'm saying is this. Here's what I would like to propose to Alex Grinch. How about we try to put Trey Norwood at the nickel and we just take number 44 off the field? That would be a conversation welcomed with open arms for a lot of people that I run in the same circle with. As I mentioned, I heard Brendan Radley Hiles' name once again tonight. It's it's not a Saturday, but coming out of a win in which Oklahoma dominated on both sides of the right. ball. The one thing I heard in conversation was that Brennan Radley Hiles should have been benched two games ago and that he should have been replaced by Trey Norwood at that point in time. And in fact, I, I couldn't remember because before this podcast started, I'm going to tattle on myself here. I couldn't remember if Trey Norwood had started in Bookie's position or they had both actually earned starting roles mm-hmm. at different positions. And it got me thinking that I landed on the exact 
same conclusion, Matt, that you did. I would love to see Norwood because of the versatility that we've talked about, because of the versatility that we've seen as fans of the game and as fans of the Oklahoma Sooners. I would love to see him get get an opportunity at Nickelback. Brendan Rattle Howes, 5'9", 180. Trey Norwood, six foot one ninety four. Trey Norwood with two interceptions. Both deflected. It doesn't matter. Wasn't necessarily in coverage. How many times have we seen an Oklahoma defensive back drop a deflected pass? Yes. I don't care if it was deflected. You you know what I care about? I care about the fact that he got an interception. It's not even a deflected pass. It's a pass that hits you in the hands or hits you in the chest. Oklahoma hasn't come up with those over how many games now? I mean, how far? A thousand and two. How many? How many seasons would we like to go back? The defense had not converted on the opportunities that had arisen. They were in the right spot, but never secured that interception, never secured that turnover. And Trey Norwood has really become the first player who's done that outside of Woody Washington. It's the first time Oklahoma has had two interceptions since they played UCLA last season. So you got to go all the way back to September 14th, 2019. Now, Oklahoma with the fumble recovery, also it's three turnovers, uh, second time in, in three games that they've got three turnovers. But for more, more specifically for Trey Norwood, it's the first time that he's ever recorded a multi-interception game. In fact, you have to go all the way back to the Big 12 championship game of 2018, and that's when he got his first interception. So this is this was a big game. It's a career game for Trey Norwood. But here, here's the one thing I also want to point out about Oklahoma's defense. We, we talked about it, okay? But do you know over the last three games... So we're talking about Texas Tech, TCU, and Texas. Last three games, Oklahoma's defense has recorded 11 quarterback sacks and 28 tackles for loss. And you just added Ronnie Perkins to it for this last game. That's ridiculous. 11 sacks, 28 tackles for loss over the last three games. You realize that's that's 28 tackles for loss in three games, man. This, this, this front seven... When I'm talking about Lincoln Riley recruiting these guys to come back, this group has the potential to be very, very special. It does. It does. Hey, I was reading something, and this is what I wanted to throw out to you um, because I love this saying so much. Oklahoma is at a point where they're beginning to recruit players, not players that they want to play on Saturday, but players who, who they believe will play on Sundays. And, and let's let's be fair. Let's be fair with what you're saying. They've always recruited those type of players. They've always recruited them. They're starting to land them. That's that's what we're yes. that's what we're getting at. It's not like because I, listen, I know Joe from Anadarko is gonna be like, well, why didn't they be? How come they hadn't been recruiting those type of players? You know, Mike Stoops used to get those guys, and then he got fat and lazy. We just quit getting those guys. No, that's not what you're saying. You're not saying we're just now starting to recruit them. You've always been recruiting them, but you're starting to get them to come to the University of Oklahoma. That's what you're saying. That's right. I, I just need to clarify that. Yeah, thank you. You bet. That's what I'm here for. Um, again, I apologize for anyone who lives in Anadarko and their name is Joe. 
a defensive player of the game? You got someone other than Trey Norwood? No, I, I don't. And I believe this was a game where there were two very obvious picks on both sides of the ball. I do want to throw out a quick question here because we very rarely talk about special teams. And we only talk about special teams when things tend to go horribly wrong or there are a couple of surprises a la a blocked punt or a blocked field goal. What's up with Gabe Burkich? Sophomore slump. I, I I don't know what it is, but I don't I'm I'm not worried about it. I'm honestly. not worried about him either. I just know we went from a kid as a freshman stepping onto the field because of a, a situation where the starting kicker was suspended from the team right. and eventually dismissed, thrust into the limelight, takes over as the place kicker, and nails every single one. Yeah, I mean, maybe the chip's not on his shoulder like it was. Maybe it's just been a weird year. Now, keep in mind, I I, I think two of his misses were career longs, right? Career long attempts. The the one that just blows my mind is the overtime against Texas. That's the one out, out of of the missed Man, kick. There's a, but we're that's, talking that's like being at the free throw line. But keep in mind we're only talking about four missed field goals for his entire career. Right. Four missed field goals. Right. So I I'm just not But it's four missed field goals in six games. Yeah, but still, I mean, again, two of them are career longs. Career long attempts. So I'm just I'm not worried about him. I'm just thinking, I, I'm saying the question that everybody has thought, what's going on with Gabe Burkich this year? Yeah, it's just, I mean, I guess he's human, right? Um, okay, let's jump around the Big 12 real fast before we close this out. By the way, thanks so much for listening. You can find us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, the Sooner Nation podcast is available anywhere you can find podcasts. Iowa State just rips Kansas a new one, um, a game that, basically went the way we said, right? Because it was a 29-point spread, and I think we both said it'll be right around 29, 30 points, right? Didn't we say that? Right. So there we go. We chalked that up for us. Texas with the upset over number six, Oklahoma State. Texas does for Oklahoma what we needed Iowa State to do a week ago, and you almost, this is a bonus for Oklahoma. You have, you have to understand this because you get a Texas team that you already own a tiebreaker against to do your dirty work, and so now in two weeks, you've got Iowa State with a loss, you've got Oklahoma State with a loss, and guess what? You've got Kansas State with a loss. Guess who's suddenly on track to make an appearance in the Big 12 championship game? Anybody? anybody <laughs> except for Kansas, um, Texas. Uh, and again, that's, it, that's too good. It, it comes down to, uh, it comes down to turnovers for Oklahoma state. And that's, that was the question mark. The, the two big question marks that you had that I had at least for Oklahoma state going into the season were, can they protect the football and how good or how bad was this offensive line going to be? And you saw them with four turnovers against Texas. And this offensive line is decimated for Oklahoma state. And by the way, Oklahoma state and Kansas state playing next week as an Oklahoma fan, you need Oklahoma state to win that game that you, you wanted this, you want losses, right? And you you don't have a chance to beat Kansas state now, but Oklahoma state can beat them for you. And then you, you've got Oklahoma state the next week. And then, then you've got that log jam we talked about with all those teams with, with two losses in conference play. Um, TCU and Baylor, that game did not go as I expected. TCU just big, big, big lead early and then hangs on for a 10-point win, 33-23 over Baylor. Um, I just I don't know what to think about either one of these teams, honestly. I don't either. And that was a game, Matt, that we, we said Baylor 
would most likely pull out that win. Right. There was a little bit of disarray, some concerns there at TCU, giving Baylor that slight edge. That one ended up being, as you've mentioned, a little bit closer than maybe initially thought at the onset of the game or in the early goings of the game. I feel I still feel like Baylor and TCU are going to finish in the bottom half seven and below more realistically here in the conference. And they're just fighting for who's who's going to be higher on that totem pole. Yeah, when they're both sitting still below 500, two and three on the season, bless you, for uh, TCU and one and three on the season for Baylor. Now, I was wrong about about that game. I've got no problems admitting when I'm wrong. I was wrong about that game, but my biggest whiff of the weekend came with Kansas State at West Virginia. I said, I don't know if you remember, I said, I'm watching this game, the early games. This is going to be the fun game. These two teams are going to be tight with one another. And that was just total domination by the Mountaineers against a Kansas State team that just couldn't find offense. I don't even know what to tell you about that one. I I, I didn't get to watch that game for starters, but I knew that, that West Virginia was going to be good up front defensively. You even said that, Matt, on Thursday, that they were going to be good up front and really be able to limit the talents that we've seen out of freshman Deuce Vaughn, which then puts all of that pressure back on a quarterback who isn't their, their, their given starter for the season. Right. That, those are pretty big shoes to fill. I, I don't know that there's the same level of athleticism as Skylar Thompson brings to the table, but you still have to produce. It's, it's that next man up mentality at Kansas state. And they certainly weren't able to deliver that defense of West Virginia, I, I don't know how they did it. I have, again, didn't watch that game, but I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they limited a Kansas State team that's put up points consistently they took to away just Deuce Vaughn. They took, a Deuce Vaughn that, they took away Deuce Vaughn and said to the freshman, beat us. It was l- literally that easy. Um, but that just lets you know the hey, value think, of Skylar Thompson. I think I went 3-0 and on, on my I Friday watch. I did, too. I did, too. And it's it's largely because I took Iowa State. There you go. Um, okay, so that's it for us uh, on Twitter, at Sports Heartland, on the internet, heartland.sports.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Give us a subscription. Give us a good rating. We appreciate you guys so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Have a fantastic week. Boomer Sooner.